Our learning objective is to analyze a company with respect to its activity and other ratios, including the use of a DuPont analysis. Our activity ratios are also known as efficiency ratios, and they examine the ability of various resources to generate sales. The two major efficiency or activity ratios are the total asset turnover ratio, which is net sales divided by total assets. So you can think of this ratio as how many dollars worth of sales can you generate for each dollar invested in total assets. So if the ratio is three, you're generating three dollars in sales for every dollar in assets. The fixed asset turnover ratio looks at net sales divided by net fixed assets. So like the total asset turnover, it's looking at the issue of uh, how many dollars of sales are you generating for each dollar invested in net fixed assets. Now this ratio has a little bit of quirkiness to it in that uh, sometimes a large value may actually be very bad news. Uh, the reason for that is net fixed assets is the value of the assets net of depreciation. Uh, net of depreciation means you take the total cost of the asset and you subtract out the uh, depreciation charges you have made against that asset over the year, over the years, and what's left over is your net fixed assets. If a firm has extremely old assets, the net fixed asset number will be small. And then you could very easily get a large fixed asset turnover ratio. If the firm has brand new assets, let's just let's say it's just built some major plants, then the net fixed asset number is going to be very large. And in fact, you could end up with a uh, low fixed asset turnover ratio number. So the fixed asset turnover ratio may say more about the age of the assets than the efficiency of your fixed assets. The DuPont analysis is so named because the DuPont firm was the one that originated and promoted it as a technique for analysis. And what the, the DuPont analysis does is it focuses in on uh, the question of what are the drivers of the firm's return on equity. And the simplest form of the DuPont ratio is that return on equity equals return on assets times the equity multiplier. Now that ratio may sound like rocket science, but you know it's not. Because let's, let's look at the ratio, uh, the, at the equation. We have return on equity, again, equals return on assets times the equity multiplier. Remember, the definition of return on equity is net income divided by the shareholder's equity. Return on assets 
is net income divided by total assets. And the equity multiplier is total assets divided by equity. Okay, so if you look at the right-hand side where we have uh, net income over assets times total assets over equity, the denominator of the uh, ROA ratio cancels with the numerator of the equity multiplier, and you are left with net income over uh, equity. And so the equation is a tautology, it's not some clever insight. The the main point of the equation, however, is that return on equity in very simple way can be, uh, can be attributed to two sources. The income you generated with the assets that you have and the capital structure of the firm. Now, the DuPont analysis can be taken up one level and we get the, a more elaborate version which is that return on assets equals uh, the net profit margin times asset turnover, and then we take that definition for ROA and plug it into our original ROE equation. And so we end up with return on equity equals net profit margin times asset turnover times equity multiplier. Again, this is not rocket science because if you think through the, the, the definitions of all those ratios, uh, you're just canceling out terms and, and you end up with uh, ROE is equal to ROE. But the key point here is that now we can say return on equity is a function of three components of the firm's operations. The net profit margin, that is your ability to generate profits from sales. Asset turnover, which is your ability to generate sales from the assets that you have. And the equity multiplier, which is your uh, uh, capital structure. And so when analyzing a firm, uh, you, the analyst can look at these three components uh, that, that define the firm's ROE and when you get changes in ROE, you can, can see is it attributable more to one area of the firm's operation than another. Or if you're comparing different firms in an industry, you can get a sense of the different strategies that the firms are using and how they're generating their return on equity. There are other numbers and ratios that are of interest to an analyst. The single most important number is earnings per share. Remember, earnings per share is the net income after taxes minus preferred dividends divided by the number of shares outstanding. It's the single most important number uh, for a firm. Cash flow after uh, uh, cash flow is the after-tax profits plus non-cash expenses. So you take your, your net income, add back your non-cash expenses, and we refer to that as the cash flow. 
The dividend yield is the indicated annual dividend divided by the price of the stock. So if the uh, price were not to change and the dividend were not to change, the dividend yield would be a measure of the rate of return that the investor would be earning. Payout ratio is extremely important in understanding where the firm is going. It's dividend per share divided by earnings per share or total dividends divided by total net income. And it tells you what percentage of the income is the firm paying out to shareholders in the form of dividends. When you have high payout ratios, you have to question the ability of the firm to sustain a high payout ratio. Sometimes we are also interested in the book value per share and book value is the net worth divided by the number of shares outstanding. Now usually this number is substantially larger than one. Uh, we usually think of it as book value is if you liquidated the firm and got the listed or book value for all of your assets and you paid off all of your debts at their face value and then distributed what was left over, book value per share is what each investor would receive. So it's sort of a technical measure of what investors have invested on a per share basis. A final thought uh, about fundamental analysis, and that is how does fundamental analysis relate to market efficiency? Well, fundamental analysis is critical when you're dealing with private companies. When there's a private company, it means there is no publicly traded stock, there is no stock price, and there's potential value, substantial value, in doing a fundamental analysis. Bank loan officers frequently make loans to firms that are not publicly traded, smaller firms. They have to be able to analyze those companies to understand how, how the firm is, is functioning. A second issue is that fundamental analysis is a necessary condition for market efficiency of publicly traded companies. If nobody did fundamental analysis, then I think it's clear that stocks would be most likely incredibly misvalued. It's like a horse race where if you had 10 horses in the race and nobody in the stands knew anything about horses, they had no information about the horses, they had no history about the horses, but they're going to bet and all they can look at is the color of the horse, uh, they can look at the jockey, what's, what color clothes are the jockey wearing, they can look at the name of the horse, they can look at all these things that have nothing to do with the horse's performance and, and they'll place bets. And then, in effect, the horses would probably all run at 10 to 1 odds because nobody knows anything about the horses. Now, if an informed better arrives at the racetrack, the informed better would look at the fact that all the horses are running at 10 to 1 and would be able to analyze which horses were more, more likely to win, the informed better would start betting on the horses that are most likely to win. 
and getting a windfall gain because the odds are terribly mispriced. Well, that better starts to move the odds. As more informed betters arrive and place their bets, then the odds uh, will start to reflect the probability of each horse winning. And so the real question is, how many informed betters do you have to have for the odds in a horse race to be fair at the start of the race? So it, it's a necessary condition for market efficiency that you have people doing fundamental analysis. But in a truly efficient market, it's worthless at the margin. So once you have enough informed betters, one more informed better really is unlikely to find any, any true deals. And finally, keep in mind that earning surprises are always a major component of stock price performance. So if you can forecast a company's earnings just a little bit better than the uh, average person, the average analyst, you should be able to consistently beat the market. Let's consider some true-false questions. If the total asset turnover ratio is consistent with industry average, there is no need to evaluate the quality of individual assets. Well, that one's false. Total asset turnover is an aggregate measure, but it may hide the fact that some assets are terribly problematical and others uh, the company may be managing extremely efficiently. So it's an aggregate measure, it's useful, but it, it, you should not take it as a, a, a need that you don't need to do further investigation. A high fixed asset turnover ratio may indicate aged assets. Well, that one is true.